Good morning. My name's Chris Hodge. and I'm Ellie. And I'm Anna. And we're covenant partners here at uh, First Pres, along with my wife, Sarah. This morning, we began an Advent series celebrating God's faithfulness to his promises demonstrated in the birth of Jesus. We know Advent doesn't officially begin until next week, but if the stores can take advantage of that, um, then we can too, and we can, we can celebrate and fuel our worship of Jesus Christ starting right here and right now. Today, we study the first promise of Christmas, acknowledging our problem is greater than we can really admit. And we can celebrate God's provision in Jesus and in that, that, that that provision is something that we can comprehend. Please join me in reading Genesis 3, 1 through 15. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who, is, who, have, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that have you done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because because you have done this, cursed are you all above all livestock and all above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity before you and your and the woman, and between their offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Amen. Thank you very much. Great job. Thanks, Chris. All right. Welcome. Good morning. Good to see you all. Uh, If you don't have a Bible already open, uh, please open your Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 today. If you don't have a Bible, we can find one for you. Got some over there. You can use your phone. The hope for this time is that the Word of God is used by the Spirit of God to transform us all more into the image of God so that we can live more faithfully and fruitfully for the glory of God. And we're going to begin celebrating Advent, celebrating Christmas this week. Uh, And we're going to do so by looking back at the beginning of the story. Now, just to set things up, uh, everybody in here, we, we all have a lot of things in common. One of them is we're looking for people or places whose promise we can really trust. 
We long to know that something is certain, that we could lean into it and experience the fullness of the promise that comes. Also, what we have in common is that we are growing. We want to become more of who we're created to be. We want to become more of ourselves, right? And the temptation is to lean into the promises of our culture, things that we see and we desire. We take them and we consume them, uh, dealing with symptoms of our life, trying to find satisfaction and to become uh, more of who we think or we desire to be. The invitation today is to realize that the only sure promise uh, comes from Jesus and the, war, the faithfulness of God who carries the original promise that we re- just read about. We're going to study all the way through history and it finds its fullness in, in the birth of Jesus Christ, his perfect life in our, in our place, his death on our behalf. And that, and in that, uh, leaning into that with all we've got is where we find the solution, the strength, the satisfaction uh, for all the struggles and the suffering of our lives. Now, I have a lot of aspects of what I get to do that I really, really enjoy, and one of them is walking with people who desire to grow, who desire to change, uh, who desire to, to be more of who God made them to be. Uh, and, and there's something that's characteristic for a lot of people that I see as common struggle that I can identify with as well. That is that people deal with symptoms of their life, fruit of their life, rather than root issues. So the, the change that takes place is temporary, unsustainable, flash in the pan, here today, gone tomorrow, and there's no deep-rooted transformation. Now, I can identify that with this, and I'll start with sharing. If you know me, then you know that I struggle with having my personal performance as part of my identity uh, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a leader. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that struggles with believing that my worth is in how I work. Anybody here? Table for one up here? Okay. All right. Everybody's like, yeah, get off the stage, loser. All right. I'll take it. That's me. Here's the deal. Here's what happens. When you believe that toxic fruit of your life is that your worth is actually in your performance, how well you do, then when things are going well, then you feel pretty good about yourself and you expect everybody else to feel pretty good about you as well. But when things are going poorly, you you feel pretty poorly about yourself. You begin to define yourselves with toxic shame. You failed, so you become a failure. You lost at something. You are a loser. And you are your own work. This is a never-ending roller coaster where you rise in your fall and how you feel with how you're performing. And if you really want to change in a way that just changes the fruit of that, I want to be stable. I want, what you do is you just focus on your performance. You, you focus solely on coaches that can make you better people that can help you develop a a strategy, a plan, consultants that can come and fix everything for you, right? Or some sort of personal or strategic strategy where we're just going to take these steps and we're going to become better so that I don't feel bad about myself anymore. And all you've really done is look at the fruit of your life and you've rearranged a few things for a season because you just can't perform yourself into an identity where you constantly feel good about yourself. 
The freedom of the gospel is this. It's it's to understand that in Christ Jesus, when your faith is in Christ, your identity is actually secure in his work for you. Christianity is the only religion, the only worldview that actually gives an identity to people for doing nothing, just believing in the work of Christ. It's a performance of Jesus that gives us security and the steadfast love of our Father so that we can live a steady, sustainable fruitful life in season and out of season. All of this to illustrate the simple truth that if you and I, if we want to redeem the fruit of our lives, we have to deal with root issues. We can't just deal with symptoms. And when we look at different areas of life, we realize it's foolish to just look at symptoms and not deal with root issues. But for some reason, it's hard, it's difficult to believe that in our heart. Let me illustrate how foolish it looks if we do it in the rest of life, your health. If you have a broken arm and you take aspirin, the pain might go away, but your arm is still broken. If you have a leaky roof and you say, you know what? I'm just going to put some duct tape on the hole, right? I'm not saying this from personal experience. That will work for a couple of weeks, but it won't work forever. You got to deal with the root and actually fix the hole, right? What if you're like me and you ate a little too much over Thanksgiving? You've gained gained some weight, right? Rather than dealing with your diet, let's just notch our pants up a little more or maybe buy some bigger clothes, right? So we can just keep eating what we want to eat. Uh, If you have cracks on your wall in your house, then you have foundation issues. And if you just paint over it so that it looks better and you don't see the cracks, they're just going to reappear because this is South Texas and the earth shifts with the weather. If your car engine is rattling, my advice to you is not to just install a mute button but to actually go to a mechanic or figure out a YouTube video that can help you really fix it. (laughs) If your bathroom trash hasn't been taken out despite how many times you've been told to take it out, and I know you've been told a lot and you need to do it, but if your solution is instead of taking the trash out, you're just going to hang some sort of odor remover in your bathroom, you're just dealing with the fruit and not the root. Take the trash out. If you're constantly tired and you got bags under your eyes, I suggest you do something more than just wear sunglasses all the time so nobody sees it. Figure out why you're not sleeping well and learn to sleep better. If you have communication issues with your friends and your family, you need to do something more than worry about your body language and see a mime coach. You definitely need to avoid just trying to cut off the fruit and just ask for noise-canceling headphones for Christmas so you don't have to hear them anymore. That's not going to really redeem the fruit of your relationship. These illustrations are obviously foolish, but it gets personal when we look at things like finances. People want to deal with their finances and they just deal with fruit. And they think it's just as simple as what comes in, what comes out, when actually you've got identity issues or self-worth issues or status issues or idolatry issues where you can't stop spending on things you don't need and you don't pay off debt that you have because it's a heart issue or an addiction. 
some kind of substance addiction or a food addiction. We think if we just deal with the fruit, we're going to be self-controlled and that's going to go through. But if you've ever battled with something like that, you know that the first step to really solving the addiction is admitting you have one. And there's a reason why the 12-step program with AA begins with acknowledging there's a higher power, something to be dependent on outside of yourself, right? Or an issue that's extremely pervasive, the biggest problem facing the church in America today, pornography. Pornography is ripping apart men's lives, women's lives, like a tsunami of destruction. It's going through our culture silently. And if we think that dealing with pornography is simply self-control, I'm not going to lust, I'm not, then we're not going to have redeemed fruit sustainable ways. There's a reason why G.K. Chesterton, when he talked about people that were looking to find sexual satisfaction in a brothel, he said, when you knock on the door of the brothel, what you're really looking for is God himself. Because the issues, not just of pornography, but of pornography and other issues, is that we have hungers in our heart that only God can satisfy. There is a significance that only God can give. There's a peace that only Jesus offers. There is a strength that only comes from the Spirit. There is an acceptance that you can only find in the gospel. And there's a sense of adventure that you're looking for that only the mission of God through Christ can give us. Now, our culture has settled, our world has settled for an ethic that's defined by desire. That is to say this, that when you feel like you want to change, then you see the newest thing, you desire it, you take it, and you consume it. And it may work for a while, but when you see desire, take and consume, you're just dealing with fruit of stuff. The reality of God's promise is that the ruin of our lives and of this world can be restored through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's a comprehensive diagnosis of what, what the real issue is, and it's an invitation to participate in the solution that only God can give, Jesus Christ. This is the story of the ancient promise of Christmas. And this is what we read here in Genesis 3. And before we dive into the text, let me just establish that the problem is bigger than you realize. It really is bigger than you realize. Every worldview has to answer the question. Every person you know, everybody in here has to answer the question, what's the problem? Everybody knows there's a problem in the world. And every worldview has a response. Some of you have heard me tell a story about the time I was uh, sharing the gospel with, with a Hindu man that I knew when I lived in Indonesia. We became friends, and, and we started talking about what's the problem with the world. And I asked him, what, what is the root problem? And his response was that people eat red meat. And that all the problems in the world come from people who eat red meat. Now, some of us hear that. We say, well, that sounds a little silly. But for Hindus that really believe in the sacredness of cows, at least 30% of them actually believe that. There's obviously a spectrum. If you have Hindu friends in here, not everybody believes that. But this guy did. 
And there's an incoherence for what you, what you diagnose as the real problem and what the solution is. Because if you really believe that red meat's the problem, then not only are you going to make Carter Ray and Viatrix a little upset, right? But you're actually not going to bring much coherence with reality. There really will be no solution. And we can laugh at that, but the problem's bigger than we realize. And we live in a world where we want to be quick to diagnose a problem and propose a solution. And so it's popular right now to say that the root problem, are, there are the oppressive structures of our world. And we need to wake up. And we, we, we valorize the victims. And we seek to overthrow traditional authoritarian structures because those oppressive structures are the problem. And then when we see the incoherence of that, we actually swing the other way. And people are blind to their own incoherence where they say the root of the problem is who's in political power. It's in the wrong hands and there's peril to our traditional patriarchal culture. And if you believe that's the issue, then what you promote and support and endorse is a toxic masculinity where your emotions rise and fall with your political identity. So much so that when people don't agree with you, well, they're just evil and wrong, and you use moral categories for what you understand the solution of the world to be. That is just as incoherent with reality as my Hindu friend that sees red meat as the root of the problem. You see, we can't allow ourselves to be so short-sighted so limited and incoherent, the story of Scripture actually roots the struggle, the suffering of your life and our world in one place. The root issue is sin, the rebellion of our first parents, a historical Adam and Eve that took God's word as a suggestion. And they did what was right in their own eyes, choosing to want to be like God rather than worship and live for God. And this rebellion of our first parents actually pervades every aspect of society, the world we live in, and your heart is not exempt. So the solution must be just as comprehensive. And that is why the promise that God makes and preserves till we get to Christmas in Jesus is the only solution that there is. The problem is pervasive. It is everywhere. Sin passed through generations from Adam and Eve all the way through the people who existed before us. But it goes beyond pedigree and beyond genealogy, and it, it really is personal. It's why Paul says in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 that for in Adam all have died. All of us. Death has pervaded everywhere and everyone because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And the root of not just the physical death that entered the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the spiritual death that came when humanity was separated from God, or the relational death that cascaded down from Adam and Eve. You know, their first kids, Cain and Abel, ended in a murder. Relational death came through the rebellion of our first parents. But it's more than that. There's eternal death 
that has come to people who are stuck in the representation of Adam. And even beyond that, the division of our world is rooted in the sin of our hearts. The death that comes from worlds, wars, the discrimination that is everywhere, it's an abomination. The disordered moral and ethical standards, the disordered relationships that we have with good things in this world, the difficulties in relationships, they're rooted in our sin struggles. And to really transform the fruit of our lives, we have got to deal with the root issue. The problem is pervasive. And when you can acknowledge that and you're free to realize it's much bigger, then you're free to look at the sin that's behind the sin in your life and in our world. There is sin behind the sin. And so when you look at your life or when you look at this world, you say, man, there are things that I want to change. I want to change my anger. I want to redeem the rage. I want the malice, the deceit, the lies to be gone, the adultery to be vanished, the violence, the abuse, the exploitation, yes, the oppression, the pain, the abuse of power, all of these things are fruit of the flesh. And the invitation to look at the sin behind the sin is to see that there's something greater that's leading to the disorder, the destruction, the derailing of God's design, the despair, the depression, the hopelessness. I need you to hear this right now. Many of the problems that you are facing today are from you not dealing with the root of sin struggle yesterday. It's true for you, it's true for the world. Many of the struggles you're dealing with today are coming from not dealing with the root issues, the root sin struggles in your life and in our world yesterday. And Satan wants to keep it that way. Because Satan wants to disorder God's design. He wants death to be pervasive in our culture. He wants us to be deceived. He wants to derail your hope. He wants there to be more darkness. And he's got the same strategy today that he had in the garden. The pervasiveness, the problem, the sin behind the sin, it begins in our heart and it's pricked with verse one. Look at this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shouldn't eat from the tree of the garden? What does Satan do first? Satan questions God's word. Now I'll give you another personal example. For much of my life I've dealt with wanting to redeem my, my anger, just the way I react to certain situations. The anger uh, is something I've worked on. I've talked to counselors about. I've done a lot of reading and study and prayer and all this stuff. But anger is a way that, that we try to control things. Anger is a way that we try to control people. Anger is a way that we try to protect. And when we find ourselves lashing out in anger, what are we really doing? We're choosing to not believe what God's word really say. Did, did God really say that he's sovereign over everything and that you don't need to control so you can be free from that? Did God really reveal himself that way? Yes, he did. And when you choose not to believe it, 
then you are going to choose to try to control things yourself. Did God really say that you can have a peace that surpasses all understanding? Did God really say that he is near and that we can make our request known to him and with thanksgiving, we can experience a petition that gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding? Did God really say that it surpasses all understanding? God said, yes, he did. And so our anxiety that we feel is actually a doorway to examine what is it about the word of God that we're not believing right now? Is he really good? Are his promises true? Is his character consistent? It is. And the enemy wants you to doubt his word. But even beyond that, the strategy of Satan, the serpent, is the same. Look at this. He goes on. It's not just questioning God's word. It's a temptation to be like God. Eve dialogues with the serpent. Well, God said that we could eat all the fruit except for this one tree. And the serpent says in verse 4, says to the woman and the man, Adam's standing right there. He's just silent. Uh, He never spoke up. He should have spoke up. He was right there. He says, uh, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. This temptation, not only can you question God's word and doubt his sovereignty, but you can be like God yourself. Just pull out your phone. You can be everywhere you want. You can can access to anything you want. And you can take it. So whatever that is you want to change, just look here and see. You can be like God. I see something that'll help. I desire this. I take it. I'm going to consume it. It's exactly what she did. And it's the same strategy that keeps us from dealing with the root issues of our heart. Look at the way that, I mean, Eve did not, even Adam, they didn't have to scroll real long before they found exactly what they wanted. The temptation to be like God, the steps begin in her heart. Verse 6, look at this. It says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she saw it with her eyes. It was a delight to her eyes. And there was, that tree was to be desired to make one wise. Well, this will help me. This will make me wise. She took it. She saw, desired. She took the fruit and she ate it. And she gave to him to her husband who was there with her, and he ate. And both of their eyes were opened. But they didn't see like God saw. They saw their nakedness. And they were ashamed. And they hid. And they began this cycle of shame and blame. Of shame and blame. I feel shame. I hide I'm just going to rearrange the fruit, try to cover myself, and I'm going to blame other people, not take responsibility. Definitely not look at my own heart and to go deep in here and to see what I'm contributing to this situation, to see what my wounds are, my pain points are that I'm acting out on. It's someone else's fault. That's what Adam and Eve immediately begin to say. And the sin behind the sin comes from the heart and it's seen in rejecting God's authority, his word, and trying to be like God ourselves by seeing and desiring and to take ourselves. Now left in this state 
We're separated from God. We're separated from one another. We're in friction with all of creation. This is what the curse does. God said to the serpent, because you've done this, he curses the ground. He curses the field. He ends up cursing humanity, but he does so in a way that gives a promise. Verse 15, right in the middle of the curse. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring or your seed and her offspring and her seed. He shall bruise your head. That is, he will crush you, even though you will bruise his heel. In the gospel, as pervasive as the problem is, the gospel is greater. The promise is actually prehistoric. And you need to understand that Christmas did not begin in Bethlehem. Christmas didn't begin when Jesus was born of a virgin, which historically happened. That actually is traced all the way back to this promise in Scripture. And even before that, God's promises. And the the, the reality is that God showed up in the garden. This is amazing. He didn't squash Adam and Eve, which is what I would have done. I would have just squashed them, and when they were wasted grapes, I would have thrown them in some cosmic trash area and started again with creatures that were actually grateful for an amazing world and a garden and a purpose and relationship with me. And I would have gone forward, but God didn't do that. God showed up, and he covered their shame, and he promised to make things right, that everything he allowed, somehow he would redeem. And that how is through the offspring, the seed of the woman. And that's why not only is a promise prehistoric, but the solution is actually in the story. You can read the book of Genesis and see that this seed, that word for offspring, it actually carries all the way through the whole book. It, it, it connects everything through genealogies, and it ends with Joseph when he's in Egypt. He's blessing his sons, the sons of Jacob, or Jacob's blessing his sons when they're in Egypt to see Joseph. And, and the seed, that offspring, it goes to Judah, and Judah is promised that the scepter would never depart from him. But it, it carries through the story. That's where the solution is, and that's why the New Testament actually begins with a genealogy. You think it's a boring list of names, but it's actually a beautiful illustration of how God keeps his promises all throughout scripture. And it's never based on human performance. When you get to the genealogy, you realize, yes, it came through Judah, but do you know who, how Judah carried on the seed motif, the seed story, the offspring from this promise? You know how he did it? He took his son's wife, Tamar, and he slept with her. It's just this dark backdrop that illustrates the power of God's faithfulness. And you say, well, surely when we get to the story, somewhere like King David, that's when we see that that it really is just human moral effort that keeps this promise going forward, right? Wrong. David was actually a great, 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 great grandson of a guy named Salmon. And Salmon married a woman named Rahab. When Israel first came into the land of Canaan, Rahab was a prostitute. And she married Salmon. And they got together, and they had a son. His name was Boaz. And Boaz, he actually got together with a foreigner named Ruth. She was a Moabite. They got together on the threshing floor. And they had a son called Obed. Obed had Jesse, and Jesse had David. So you can't even get to David 
without going through a prostitute and a Gentile. And you say, well, surely it gets better after that, right? Yeah. Well, no, it doesn't. Because you remember not Solomon, but Solomon. David's son. Surely that was the noble seed, right? Read the genealogy in Matthew. Who was his mama? A woman named Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the one, get this, when David was on the roof of his palace, surfing and scanning what would satisfy his heart, he saw Bathsheba. He desired Bathsheba. He took Bathsheba and he consumed her. And then he had her husband murdered. The point is at the depth of human need. The problem behind the problem is so pervasive, it's so great that only God can provide a solution. And it is carried forward in the story. And it leads us to understand that the gift is greater than we can grasp. As comprehensive as the problem is, so comprehensive as the solution is. And it's an invitation for you to stop diagnosing the fruit. Most of you know I've, I've battled cancer in my life. The first time I went to the doctor for what my wife was, knew was cancer, she was worried about it. I went to the doctor in Indonesia. That's a little key there. And he looked at me, examined the tumor. You know what he prescribed me? Antibiotics. Sorry, no medicine in the world is going to say that antibiotics is going to get rid of a tumor. What do you need? You need a comprehensive diagnosis so that you can have an accurate health plan. I needed surgery. I needed chemotherapy. I needed doctors who knew what they were doing. How much more beyond your health for your heart? You can't take antibiotics and see and desire and take whatever it is you think will make you feel better and change the fruit of your life without dealing with the root of it. We've got a sin problem. And we see, we desire, we take just like Eve. We doubt God's word. We want to be God ourselves. We want to bring ourselves healing. And we cannot. What's the solution? The solution is that God saw you. And he loved you so much that he left heaven and he became a child to fulfill the promise that the offspring of Eve that would come through the line of Judah would be in Joseph's family. And he took you to be his own by living the life we could never live, the perfect life, dying the death we deserve to die so that we could have forgiveness. He saw, he desired, he took, and he became one with you. When we are in Christ, the union with Christ that we have means that everything that's true of Christ is true of us by faith. And if we don't see that as a solution, then we will never redeem the fruit that we long to redeem because we'll always be avoiding the root of the problem. Don't believe the enemy's lies. Yes, there's a lot of problems in our world, but the problem, the root of the problem is not your spouse. The root of the problem is not your boss. The root of the problem is not your parents, your past, the oppressive uh, oppressions in our society, the wrong political party, a threatened patriarchy, personalities that are difficult, eating meat, not the problem, your addiction. 
is not the problem. The schedules that you keep, the busyness that you have, how many times have you heard yourself say, things would be different if I just wasn't so busy? That's not the problem. You have a sin issue in your heart that only Jesus can deal with. And when we are free to accept the pervasive diagnosis, then we're free to embrace the solution. The solution of Christmas. The promise that God would bring an offspring of Eve who will redeem. Now you say, Mitchell, that sounds very simplistic. You don't know my story. You don't know what's going on in the world clearly. It's just not that simple. Before you dismiss it, trying to protect yourself, let yourself feel the love. You are loved so much. The prehistoric plan of God was to become flesh himself, to die, so that the fruit of your flesh can be redeemed. That we can join Paul in celebrating our weaknesses because of the sufficiency of God's grace. Don't dismiss it. Open your heart to a love this Christmas season that truly will redeem all that he allows. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your promise, and the freedom that we have in your work to admit that there are moments in days and hours, I mean, constantly we're questioning your word, trying to be like you and seeing a desire and taking, consuming and repeating trying to find a solution, a sustainable life, fruitful life that only you can offer. Lord, please forgive us. Wash us clean. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to find the newness of life that you offer us this Christmas season. The ancient promise in the gospel that's bigger than we can comprehend. We believe, Lord. Help us with our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Let's stand together and sing.